Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We hear a lot of uh, blame going around for the New York Yankees, New York Mets, but a lot of times you hear the analytics um, staff. Everything is to, bl- to blame. It's analytics. That's what's wrong with the, the game in general, and that's what's wrong with the Yankees. And I thought I would bring in someone who has expertise in this area to have, hopefully, an informed conversation about it. Mike Petriello, some of you may be familiar with his work. Um, he, uh, you know, did a bunch of the StatCast um, broadcasts um, for ESPN. He's now at MLB.com. But he writes, you know, fan graphs, writes a lot on um, data and analytics and baseball. Hey, Mike, how are you? Welcome to the program. Good evening, Laurie. I've been listening. Fun show so far. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to start off with... Uh, I've had this conversation before where I try and say to people that analytics doesn't make bad decisions. It's just data. You know, people make bad decisions <laughs> using data. But let's start with, from your perspective, for somebody who is an expert in this area, how do you define analytics? I mean, it's information, right? Like mm-hmm. the word analytics can mean so many different things, uh, even between different teams. And people just sort of use it as a scare word mm-hmm. almost, right? Like it means something I don't like and or don't understand. And it doesn't mean it's always right, you know, certainly not. But I can't imagine there's a single fan out there who wants their team to be less informed or to have worse information, whether it's about trades or improving the way their guys are playing. And every time I hear this come up, like, oh, analytics is the reason we're losing. The question I've never seen answered is which team out there are you trying to be? Like which successful team is playing like it's 1985 anymore, right? It's not the Dodgers. It's not the Rays. It's not the Orioles. It's not the Braves, even though they don't talk about it very much. Like who is this team? Because if you look at the teams that employ the fewest analysts, and there's not like great information about that, but it's generally considered to be like the Rockies, the White Sox, the A's. Like are those are the teams you want to be? And no one ever has a good answer for that. So, yeah, so we'll start off by saying you called it information. Um, Analytics is information. And when people are blaming analytics, I frequently find what it is is that human beings making decisions, either with good or bad information, um, how they interpret it. So uh, the next question I was going to ask you, which you just got out a little bit, is 
which are the teams, in what ways do you think some teams are applying analytics more effectively? Um, a couple that I'd, I'd love you to talk about that come to mind. It always seems like the Astros somehow pick up a pitcher and the next thing you know, they they uncover something and untapped potential. Or the Rays make a trade and everyone's always scared to trade with the Rays because somehow they will have found something that you didn't know about in uh, some untapped potential in, in a player. How do... You know, how are those teams tapping into information or data? What are the ways in which they're doing it? Yeah, that's a really great question because that has changed over the years, right? I think at first it was more about the on-field style of play, right? Maybe don't sacrifice bunt so much. Maybe don't worry about strikeouts so much. And I know that can rub a lot of people the wrong way, which I, I totally get. Well, the difference is now is it's it's identifying what you can make, uh, what you can improve about players. Like you just mentioned the Rays. I don't know if anybody has been paying attention to Robert Stevenson, who has been bounced around a little bit. They got him from Pittsburgh for almost nothing about two months ago. Uh, they taught him to either add a cutter or change the way he throws his slider, depending on how you want to look at it. And over the last two months, he's been one of the best swing and miss relievers in all of baseball, right? And they do this all the time. The, the Dodgers closer right now uh, is Evan Phillips, who kind of washed out of the praise system years ago because the Dodgers taught him how to use the tools he had more effectively. Like that is the thing that the best teams are doing right now. It's not so much uh, saying don't bond. It's saying here's where we think that other teams aren't using you effectively enough. Lance Flynn is a great example, right? The White Sox didn't do a great job of helping him. He's been much better there. And that's not necessarily cutting edge anymore. It's just that not every team is very good at it. Like the next thing that gets more complicated is like biomechanical stuff. Like how exactly are you moving your arms in this way? And that gets a lot more complicated. But really, the most effective use of it right now is how can we make you, the player, better? And there's some teams that are really good at that. Yeah, and I think on the plus side, if we're going to get into now talking about the local teams, Yankees as an example, I think in the bullpen, there are a number of examples where Yankee pitching coach Matt Blake, you know, if you look at um, at some of those relief pitchers that they have, you know, they seem, they seem to untap potential there. Um, so I don't think Yankee fans hate that aspect of it when the Yankees are good at um, transforming a relief pitcher. Well, Clay Holmes is an absolutely perfect example mm-hmm. of that, right? Kind of going nowhere with the Pirates, and the Yankees turned into one of the best relievers uh, in all baseball. And they've, they've done this a couple of times. You're absolutely right about the bullpen. I think the struggle for people is they haven't necessarily been able to do this in places other than the bullpen. Yep. Like it's sort of hard to remember the last time a under-the-radar hitter came and mm-hmm. you know was great. I mean, four or five years ago, I guess they had that run when like Mike Talkman was there for a minute. Um, but I, I think that's the issue. They're very good at that, and maybe they haven't hit so well well, it's some of the other things, but you know, when I look at their struggles this year, what exactly of it is what they were too analytical. Like analytics would have said, hey, don't sign DJ Mayhew to that long contract because the underlying numbers say he's not likely to keep this up, right? Analytics might have said, hey, maybe don't take on this giant Stanton contract. Like they have made a lot of decisions that weren't exactly what the numbers would say, which is fine. Like you don't always have to follow the numbers, especially when you're a big budget team like the Yankees. Sometimes you can afford to take that risk, but when it comes down to what's happened to them this year they are the slowest team in baseball and that, there's a number for that I, I can point you to StatCast can show that everybody's hurt and injured and old and i can tell you none of that is exactly what would, these spreadsheets would say is to put together a team that's old and injured so with um 
to that point with the pitch clock, with larger bases, with some of um, you know the shifts being minimized. Um, what are some of the ways that the teams that are on top of of trends? To your point, I think that for fans who may not stay on top of this, they may look at analytics and they, you know, I'm not trying to be dismissive here at all, um, but maybe fans think of things like the movie Moneyball and they say, yeah, it's about walks, home runs, um, and, uh, you know, um, it's, you know, the, the three true outcomes, you know, on base percentage, that's what it's about. But things have really evolved and really what I look at analytics is about finding value and also competitive advantages versus other other teams getting the most out of players and also um, better information for better decision making to give you somehow an advantage so what are with some of the new rules what are some of the ways that um, and some trends that some of the more forward-thinking teams are are exploiting well, it's interesting with the new rules specifically. Um, you know, it's mostly about the stolen bases because mm-hmm. it's, I don't want to say easy to steal a base because that's not necessarily true, but it seems to become a lot more cognizant of how it's maybe easier than it has been. Um, the Braves are a good example there, even though you don't necessarily think about them as a necessarily highly analytical team. I mean, look, look at Ronald Cunha. I mean, he's going to end up stealing 70 bases this year. <laughs> And it's not because he's showing like elite speed on these stolen bases. It's because they are correctly realizing a like when is the right time to go. B that the success rate is higher, and and see that it's worth the risk now. But really, if you think about the trends over the last couple of years, it's not necessarily tied to the new rules. Um, like for example, I looked this up right before it came on because I wanted to see if it was true. The the teams, uh, the batting teams with the lowest ground ball rate right now, Dodgers, Rangers, Mariners, maybe three playoff teams, depending on what happens. The teams with the highest ground ball rate, Marlins, White Sox, Nationals. Like so much of this, I think, is about the changing style of play, like the, the getting the ball in the air. I don't even mean launching. I just mean like ground balls are deaf, bun hits are deaf. The teams with the fewest bun hits right now, Cubs, Dodgers, Braves, Mariners, Orioles. That's maybe five playoff teams right there. And I think that goes to a lot of it, too. It's just we have learned so much about what works and what doesn't work. And giving away an out for a base is almost never a good idea. And that's not the way people necessarily grew up watching baseball. And that can be a little dif- a little difficult to, to see change. Like, I totally get that. But that's not going back. There's no rule that's going to change that back. Mm-hmm. Talking to Mike Petriello uh, about baseball about analytics and and about the New York Yankees with so they had as their hitting coach Dylan Lawson and he got fired stories written about how over the last few years his approach to things has sort of permeated through the organization they have struggled with player development then they shift to Sean Casey this season fire Lawson and Casey, a guy who, um, honestly, a an MLB network analyst, um, former player, no experience as a coach, um, but coming in and, you know, kind of preaching an approach that maybe gets back to what fans would think of as those 90s teams, 2000s teams that Yankee fans love to grind out and at bat to take more pitches, some of that sort of an approach from, from Casey. 
So is one guy, is it accurate to label one guy an analytics guy and and not the other? Or how would you look at the approaches of those two and what, you know, what they would sort of be preaching to the Yankees? I mean, I would say it's accurate to put that label on in the sense that that's what I've read. I don't know either of the men personally, so it's hard for me to say specifically what they're preaching. Um, I know it was a very popular move, I think, because the offense was struggling. And I know that a lot. the previous coach had never played at any level of even the minors. And, of course, Casey had a nice long major league career. But I, I felt like it was almost unfair to Sean Casey because you look at what had happened with the injuries and the underperformance, and there was no way he was going to turn it around. And I mean, to this point, he hasn't, right? The team's OPS is down like 20 points since it was uh, at the end of the first half, and that's with Aaron Judge playing more often. And what's interesting to me is if you look at uh, August so far, like they've played better than they have the last two months on offense. Not great, but better. And yet that's come with their highest strikeout rate month of the year. And you think about, well, what does analytics usually say? It says don't care too much about strikeouts as long as you're hitting with power. Now, the problem is they're not really hitting with power, judge aside. And I haven't necessarily seen it show up aside from what you said about working deeper into counts, you know, more pitches per plate appearances, which is one of those things that I think I think people hear that and they say, this is great. We're working the count. We're getting deep. And there's just not a great correlation between that and success. Like, it's mm-hmm. fine, but really what you want to do is you want to find the best pitch you're going to get, which sometimes is the first or second pitch, and you want to attack it. You know, you don't want to get into two-strike counts because the league-wide batting average on that, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something brutal, like 110. You know, you don't want to get into two-strike counts against the pitchers of today. So I think the problem is you can have as many different hitting coaches with different styles as you want with a older injured lineup that is clearly not at full strength. There's only so much you're going to be able to do. And I think that's going to be the problem for them, you know, going into next year. And look, to your point is fans want to blame. People can say the Yankees are really um, analytically driven. And yet you cited whether it's the trade for Stanton, the um, second contract, the, you know, the contract, um, for DJ LeMahieu trading for Josh Donaldson. Um, there are plenty of moves they made where analytics um, would have looked at it and said, you know, don't do that. Um, and I think also when you look at the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, analytics would, uh, more information would argue for having a balanced lineup, especially having left handed bats to take advantage of right field at Yankee Stadium, and yet they didn't do that. So, um, you know, to blame it on on analytics when you're doing a bad job with player development or leveraging data feels unfair. Let's go to the Mets um, for a moment. From what you can gather, how how has um, the analytics staff and use of analytics and player development, all of that evolved. If it, you know, under um, Steve Cohen, we've heard they've they've added people, but from what you can tell, um, how is it different? It's definitely uh, improving, from what I can tell, you know, from the outside, and um, I think it was pretty well documented when he took over that he was using some uh, non-baseball members of his uh, financial team to kind of reinforce the uh, information staff with the Mets. And, you know, from what I can tell, they're still hiring. Um, there was a really interesting story the other day, and I can't remember where, but it's probably the athletic because it usually is. And they were basically like, yeah, we've only just now opened our pitching lab yeah. in Port St. Lucie. Yeah, right? five, and yeah was, five days ago they wrote that story. I think they opened it in, like, June, which does put yeah. the Mets, what, behind other teams in just opening that pitching lab. 
Totally. And it's great that they did that. Like, that's the right thing to do. But it kind of puts them up to, I don't know, 2018 as far as Mm -hmm. being like the most advanced teams in baseball. And like, that's fine. You got to do it. But then the next step is, well, not only do we have to make up for all this lost time, how do we get to best in class? You know, how do we catch up to what the Rays are doing? How do we catch up to what the Dodgers are doing? Clearly with uh, that owner, there's not going to be any issue with resources, right? So it's about time. It's about uh, hiring. And I think that's moving in the right direction. But it's still going to be a pretty large unknown, I think, until he hires this, uh, you know, president of baseball ops or whatever the title is going to be. He's been teasing this for months, maybe like two years. And until you know who that is and the way they view these things, it's going to be a little bit hard to tell what direction they're going to take. So it seems like they're moving in the right direction. But the problem is they're at such a deficit. It's a lot of ground to make up. Right. And. From what you gather, let's say hypothetically, one of the names we've seen bandied about, David Stern's um, former um, head of uh, you know GM and 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 head of the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, how you know? Obviously, they don't have the same resources as Stern's would have with the Mets and Steve Cohen. But um, where where are the Brewers in terms of leveraging analytics? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, I can read the tea leaves as well as you can, right? And that seems to be the name everybody thinks it's going to be. Um, one thing you can point to with the Brewers is they have had a lot of success. You know, it allows you division to be sure, but they're, they're always competitive and they're always well run. And they're another team that just seems to invent relief pitchers out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, <laughs> a name that I guarantee nobody listening except for the most sicko fantasy player knows is like Joel Pyamps, who bounced around like five different teams. And all of a sudden he's been there. He's been great. You know, they're another team that's been really, really good at identifying pitchers, uh, you know, training pitchers it hasn't been the same on the offensive side. I think we've learned that it's harder to do, you know, as we just talked about with the Yankees, I don't want to say it's easy to create relievers because if it was, everybody would do it, but it seems like it's easier to take a pitcher with like one really good pitch and teach him how to be effective. It's harder to do it on the offensive side. Uh, and they've struggled with that. You know, some of that is resources, but you look at a team that's a small market club and they are competitive every single year. They're probably going to win the division again. And it's not hard to see why you'd want someone who had been running that team, running your team. So a lot of um, news swirling around um, in New York around a few players and potential trades and free agency and all of that. And one is with the Mets, um, rumors coming out that they at least were listening to potential trade offers um, for Pete Alonso. If, you know, I I don't necessarily think they will um, trade Alonso. I am of the mindset that they will eventually figure out a way to get a deal done. But how do you value a player like Pete Alonso relative to some of the other big contracts? Let's say we saw um, last year's offseason, a player who obviously has elite power, but is not a five-tool player. How would you value him if you were looking at um, a kind of deal that you would think would be reasonable? Yeah, this is a real tricky one for exactly the reasons you said. Righty, righty, first baseman, right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing first baseman who you know aren't outstanding gloves or add value on the bases. They generally don't have a great track record of performing well into their 30s, right? And I don't want to be clear about this. It's not to mean I don't think he's a good player. He obviously has elite power. I think he'll be very good for the next couple of years. But in terms of some of the contracts we saw last year, you know, to you know, 11-year contracts, 12-year contracts, all this. Think about all those guys who got those deals, right? They were either A, middle infielders, or B, extremely young. 
You know, like we saw a couple of guys, Machado, when he got it a couple of years ago, I think he was like 26 or whatever. You're not going to get that contract as a first base, potentially future DH. Like he'll still get paid, but it's not going to be on this long-term kind of thing. Like the, the ideal for this sort of position is Paul Goldschmidt, right? Another right-handed first baseman. Mm-hmm. The difference is he's a gold glover. He's won five or six different gold gloves. He's yep. a fantastic defender, a pretty good base runner. You know, he's had 20 stolen base seasons, 30 stolen base seasons. And so you could look at him uh, at a similar age. And, you know, when Alonzo is what, 28 years old, and you could say, well, yeah, he's a first baseman. Yeah, he's never going to play anywhere else, but he's athletic and he's fast and he's smart. And I have confidence that this is someone who will age well, and he has, right? He's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. And I don't think you can look at Alonzo in the same way because he doesn't have the glove, you know, doesn't have the wheels. And if the power goes, I mean, that is a majority of his game right there. So I think that's the concern. So I'm with you that I think, you know, there's probably value in a player who has already achieved in New York, because we've certainly seen players come through here and not be able to do that. He seems to love it here. I do think that's of value, even if that's not the most, you know, analytical thing to say necessarily. Um, but it's going to have to be a creative deal because that eight, nine, 10 year deal is not out there for a player at this profile. And the hard thing for Pete Alonso, um, Granted, it was um, a couple of years ago, but uh, but Paul Goldschmidt's contract, I think the Mets would dance a jig if they could get Pete to sign for that. Five years, $130 million. Um, the, you know, Mets would be thrilled if they could, you know, if they could get uh, Pete to go for a contract like that, because I'm sure Pete's wanting one of those longer deals and um, a lot more, a lot more money. Um so then last one before I let you go, I'm curious what you think about, um, you know, Shohei Otani obviously has been um, magic, a miracle over the last few years, what we've been um, lucky enough to witness. But how do you explain his value, you know, now that there's all this uncertainty and he... You know, he may or may not be a two-way player anymore, potentially just being a hitter, you know, as he faces free agency. Or is there some other role he could adapt to? I mean, could you see him as a bullpen guy and, and a, uh, you know, and, and a power hitter? Um, I, how do you evaluate Shohei Otani on the, on the, you know, on the brink of free agency? I mean, first and foremost, this just stinks. Like, it's, it's yeah. bad for baseball. It just It's a total bummer. The thing about it is he he's not just a two-way player in the sense that he's only valuable because he can do these two things, right? He's valuable because he can do each of these things incredibly well. So let's say, worst-case scenario, he never pitches again. I certainly hope that's not true, but hypothetically, let's say it's true. Let's say he's just a DH. That makes him David Ortiz, essentially. <laughs> David Ortiz is all famer and you know would have piled up big contracts. Obviously, he's been playing now. And even if Otani never pitches again, uh, which I don't think is true, he could probably play the outfield, right? He could probably be a pretty I'm good sure. right fielder. I, I bet him. Yeah, I bet he'd be a good field. I mean, depending on the arm, you're right. He could either be a right fielder. Worst case scenario, you could play him at first base. Like I imagine, he could play any defensive position. And to your point on Ortiz, imagine if Ortiz could steal bases. Right. Exactly right. So it's like, does this cost him money? Yes, I believe it does. But honestly, this isn't as much of a of a death knell as you'd think, right? Like for most players getting injured right before their free agent year, that's the end of the world. That's like the worst thing that could happen. And it's bad. There's no doubt it's bad. 
But for him, I think all this does is it makes a complicated contract ever so slightly more complicated because now you're going to build in either incentives based on how much he does or doesn't pitch, or he's going to say, well, you know what? I want an opt out after every even numbered year or whatever, based on how healthy I am or I'm not. He will still get a very, very large contract because you can't discount as well, not just what he offers on the field, but the promotional value he brings off the field, right? He is an international superstar. He is as close as baseball is going to come to LeBron James right now, I think. And that is so valuable for so many different teams. So he'll still get paid. It's just going to be complicated. I think it might take longer to get done. I actually sort of wonder if this is going to make more teams get in on the bidding. Because you can imagine there are only a small handful of teams who are going to be in on 10 years and $500 million or whatever it's going to be. And now maybe you could see some other teams say, listen, we're not going to do that, but we'll pay you a lot for two years while you rehab and just hit for us. Like, that's worth it for us. We'll give you some obscene amount of money per year. I don't know if that's what will actually happen, but you could see other teams getting in on it. It might make it a whole lot more interesting in some way. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I will be surprised if he ends up anywhere besides the Dodgers, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I just see that happening. Um, but uh, anyway, interesting times, and you're right. It, it is a bummer for baseball, this um, magical player that we've had the the pleasure of watching. Um, Mike Petriello writes for MLB.com. Mike, what other projects, what, uh, what should we um, be following you on at the moment? Uh, well, whatever they call Twitter these days, I'm still there because I'm a glutton, uh, Mike <laughs> underscore Petriello. I'm going to write about the NL MVP race this week, Betts uh, and Acuna. Um, I am going to write about how the lineup order has, has changed. The number two spot is now like more valuable than it's ever been. And if I can take a quick moment to promote something real silly, on Thursday I do play in a band. We're playing at Otto's Shrunken Head in Lower East Side. Come out, hang out, talk about baseball with us. It'll be fun. What What instrument do you play? I'm a bass player. The band is called the Subway Ghosts, and it's funny. All four of us are baseball employees in some way, but it's not a baseball band. <laughs> all right, and that is, um, sorry, say it again. Where is it? Otto's, the Shrunken Head on the Lower East Side on Thursday evening this week. All right, sounds good. A, a renaissance man, Mike Petriello. Appreciate the time, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Larry. Take care. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.